Samuel is the last of 15 or 16 names that are recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. Ends with Samuel, and after that he says the prophets, and we're going to consider a message on the prophets uh, next week. But Samuel, uh, God the Holy Spirit has inspired the writer of the Hebrews to name these 15 or 16 people, and I have entitled the message for tonight, Samuel and the Amalekites. I wanted to entitle this message, Samuel Hacking Agag to Pieces. And I told Lynn about it, and she said, don't use that one. So, <laughs> Samuel was the last of the judges. The nation of Israel had been under the judges for 450 years, and Samuel was the last of the judges. Israel had no king, but they wanted a king during uh, Samuel's time of judging, and, they, and God gave them Saul, who proved to be a disaster, and David would come after him. Now, you're probably familiar with the story of Samuel, his birth, when his mother, Hannah, was barren and prayed that the Lord would give her a son. She wept, and the Lord gave her a son, and she dedicated him to the Lord. And he lived with Eli, the great high priest, during his uh, growing up, his formative years. Would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3 for just a moment? Verse 19, this is while he was still with Eli, 1 Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel. In Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. Everybody knew that this is a man that God had established to be a prophet, to be a spokesman for God. Now, the passage of scripture I just read is about uh, Samuel telling Saul to destroy the Amalekites and Saul's disobedience. But uh, before we get into that, I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 8 for just a moment. This is Israel's desire for a king. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. And the name of the firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We're the only nation that doesn't have a king. Everybody else has a king. But the thing displeased Samuel. And they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people. In all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they've rejected me, that I should not reign over them. 
So Saul was provided. And he tells what kind of person Saul's going to be. Look in verse 10. And Samuel told all the people the words of the Lord and to the people that asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take. That's said five or six times. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and sons shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and kept over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots, and he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers, and he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards and even the best of them and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to the officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and you shall be his servants. Now that is a summary of this man Saul. He shall take. And what a king he proved to be. In uh, chapter 13, turn over there for just a moment. I want us to get some idea of this man Saul that Samuel was dealing with. Verse 8, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgag, Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a priest. He had no business doing that. This is picturing him bypassing the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was so arrogant and had such a high opinion of himself that he thought he could offer an offering and he bypassed the priests. And it came to pass, verse 10, that as soon as he'd made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw the people that were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplications unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. You weren't here on time, so I forced myself. Really, this is your fault. This is not my fault. That is something that we see over and over again in this man, Saul. Now before now go before put your finger in 1 Samuel 15 and I would like to read a passage to you from Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there but I want to read it. This is about these Amalekites. In Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 17, this is God speaking through Moses. And he says, "Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you came forth out of Egypt." This is talking about Exodus chapter 17. How he met thee by the way, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God, 
Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, and thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. God had this purpose against Amalek. Now, turn to 1 Samuel 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. And the Lord commanded a genocide against the Amalekites. You'll notice they were forbidden to take any spoil. They were to even kill the infants. Somebody reads a passage of scripture like that and they think that's so severe. It is. It is. Look what he says. Verse 2. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I remember. Here's why. I remember. That which Amalek did to Israel. How he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Question. Why would God command this? This is a literal historical event. Why would God command this genocide? And that's what it was. And they were forbidden to take spoil. You destroy everything they have. Now, would you turn over to Exodus chapter 17? Exodus chapter 17, and this explains why the Lord made this command. Verse 8. Now, this is right after the children of Israel left Egypt, and this is their first battle. Verse 8, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim, unprovoked, came in from behind and did everything they could in, a, in an unjust uh, way, vicious. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. That symbolizes his deliverance, the parting of the Red Sea. That's what he used to, uh, to do the ten miracles. It, it represents the salvation of God. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand with the rod, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now remember, everything in the Old Testament takes place to teach us something of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your own experience, don't you see this as the truth with you? Sometimes as you look to Christ, it feels like, you prevail by his grace. When your hands grow weary and 
you don't look to Christ, you lose. You find that in your own experience. You see, Amalek represents the flesh. This, this battle did not take place until Israel was already delivered from Egypt. That is when the battle begins. And when Moses lifted up his hands with the rod, Israel prevailed. When his hands grew tired, Amalek prevailed. And this, we're going to see, let's, let's go on reading. This uh, represents uh, what takes place in what Paul called the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit lusting against the flesh. At first, you're nothing but flesh. When God saves you, you have a spiritual nature. And the spirit, this is not talking about the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.17. This is the spirit he gave in the new birth. The spirit lusts, wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. These are contrary one to the other so that you can't do the things you would. Now let's go on reading. And it came to pass, verse 11, when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. Aaron, the priest, Hur, light, God the Holy Spirit, he was able to keep his hands up because of the intercession of Christ and the work of God the Holy Spirit. And his hands were steady into the going down of the sun, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, this word discomfited is a very important word here. It doesn't mean he utterly defeated them. The word means literally he weakened them. He didn't kill them. They were still alive, but he weakened them them and the Lord said unto Moses write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven and Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi one of the names of the Lord for he said because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation this is a non-stop perpetual war. Now go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord has sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, what we just read about, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek. Remember, this war has been declared to be perpetual from generation to generation. You know, they never killed them all. They discomfited them, but they stayed alive. And he says, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay them, man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. 
And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them to lay them 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. That's a big army. And Saul came into the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. The Kenites were Moses' uh, grand or father-in-law's people that uh, had separated from Egypt. He said, uh, Lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed among the Amalekites. And Saul smoked the Amalekites. This was an army of 210,000 men. They could easily take care of the job. And Saul smoked the Amalekites from Haviah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen. And of the fatlings and of the lambs. And all that was good. And would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse. That they destroyed. Now this was an act of disobedience. God said kill everybody. Don't spare anything. Don't take any of the spoil. But they spared Agag, the king. And everything that they thought was of value, they kept. And everything that was of no value, they destroyed. Centuries after this um, claim of God to have a perpetual war against Amalek, Saul is told to destroy them utterly, but he doesn't. Agag. You remember the book of Esther, Haman? Haman was a descendant of Agag. Haman, the enemy of Israel. The one who wanted Israel blotted out and tried to kill them all. Agag. You know what Agag's name means? I will overtop. I will win. I will get the victory. Agag means I will. In religion, human religion, the stuff that's going on today, Men see that man is bad. He's sinful. I mean, look at the results of sin. Look at the broken homes. Look at the drug problems. Look at the, there, there's just so many problems that sin has brought out. Man is a fallen creature. We'll agree with that. But there's one thing that men spare. Free will. That's the one thing men spare. They're going to kill everything else. They're going to destroy everything else. But like King Saul, they spare Agag. They spare free will. What does free will mean? Well, true, I'm a sinner. 
but I have the ability to choose the good. I have the ability to set, accept Christ. I have the ability of my will. Now let me give you three things that uh, shows a real problem with that. Well, let me give you four things. First, the Bible doesn't teach that. That's enough, isn't it? The Bible doesn't teach it. I need nothing else. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. The Bible does not teach that. Number two, to say your will is free is to say your will is free from the control of an evil nature. That's just not true. Somebody that says my will is not influenced by my nature, you're a liar. It is too. As far as that goes, there's strictly speaking, there's no such thing as free will. Your will is controlled by your nature. Even God doesn't have a free will in the sense that he can't sin. He can't say, well, I think I'm going to sin. No, God can't do that. It's against his nature. Your will is controlled by your nature. And to say man's will is free is to say his will is not controlled by his nature. And that's just a lie at the very outset. Somebody that would make that claim about themselves, they're just dishonest. They're not telling the truth. Thirdly, to say your will is free is to say your will can trump God's sovereign will. Your will can trump God's sovereign will. God might want this, but I don't want it. My will's free. Listen to me. God's will is completely sovereign over the free and uncoerced actions of men. He has absolute control. You do what you want to. There's no doubt about that. When I'm talking about free will, I'm not saying we, we do things by, by force. Well, I'm, I, we do what we want to do. When we sin, we sin because we want to sin. We don't sin because God caused us to. Uh, we say we do what we want to, but God is completely sovereign over all of the free and uncoerced actions of men. And fourth, to say your will is free, you say your will is involved in your salvation, and that makes salvation ultimately dependent upon your free will. Not God's grace, but your free will. You know what that is? Salvation by works. Nothing less than that. Salvation by the works of the law, by some decision you make, some act of your will. But here was what the scripture says, to as many as received him, this is John 1, 12 and 13, to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born, which were birthed, not of blood, not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but of God. Free will is the enemy of free grace. Do you want your salvation to be dependent upon your will? I don't. I simply want to be found in Christ. I want God to save me as an act of his will. I don't want to have anything to do with what men call free will. Now, Saul spared Agag. I will. That was his great desire. And that's what men 
spare. They say, yes, man's sinful, but they spare Agag. Now let's go on reading in 1 Samuel 15. Verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. He was so vexed over this. He had some affection for Saul. Now, what about this scripture where the Lord says, It repenteth me that I made him. In this same chapter, in verse 29, we read, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he's not a man that he should repent. God doesn't repent. God never changes. He never changes his purpose. He doesn't repent. Sin grieves him. What about right after John chapter or Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually? You know what it says next? And it repented the Lord that he made man, and it grieved him at his heart. God never repents. God is grieved by sin in any form. And any time he sees sin, and he says this about Saul, it repenteth me that I made him king. Look at the wickedness that he is, look at his disobedience. It repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, He was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a place. You know, that's a memorial. He set up a memorial for himself. He was so proud of what took place. I whipped the the Amalekites. I I achieved this big victory. I I did all these good things for for Israel. I got us plenty. I've got uh, um, Agag here to where we make fun of him and, and show him our power, and we've got his good sheep, and well, I die, I'm going to make a memorial to myself. That's what the word place means, a sign, a memorial to show my victory. Oh, he felt so good about this. Kind of like the folks who said, Lord, in your name have we not cast out demons. In your name have we not done many wonderful works. Saul felt like he'd achieved a glorious victory, so much so that he made a memorial to himself. Verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I perform the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth in this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? You were told to blot out everything. What about these noises I'm hearing right now? And Saul said, They, not me, He blames the people. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we've utterly destroyed. Now, here's what we did. We did this 
so we could offer up sacrifices. We've got these good sheep and these good oxen and, and we're going to have so many good sacrifices. That's why we did this. That's, uh, <laughs> there's a real problem with that, isn't there? <clears throat> and the rest we have utterly destroyed. You know, that's no difference than, than robbing a bank so you can give to the church. It's just an act of disobedience is all it is. It might have sounded good, but all it was was an act of pure rebellion and disobedience against what God said to do. He said, wipe out even the remembrance of Amalek. Then Sam, verse 16, then Samuel said unto Saul, stop. Don't say anything else. Stop this speech right now. I would have loved to have heard him say that, just the way he said that. Saul's coming up with these ingenious uh, justifications of himself. Samuel says, stop right now. Don't say anything else. And I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou was little in thine own sight. And you know, there was a time when he was. He'd become proud and arrogant. But do you remember his first history? He didn't want to be king. He went and hid himself when they wanted to anoint him. He was very small in his own eyes, but he didn't stay that way. You know, a lot of times you can find out what somebody's really made of by success. You find out what it does to them. And we see what it did to Saul. Samuel said, When thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Very clear instructions. Wherefore didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Boy, he wanted that spoil, didn't he? He kept all the good sheep, all the good oxen, the gold, the silver, only the stuff that was worthless did he destroy. You flied on the spoil in disobedience to my command. You didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. I have obeyed. No, you've not. But the people. <coughs> it begins the blame game once again. But the people. I'm not the problem. It's the people. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Now what Saul is saying is, I'm a victim. It's not my fault the people did this. Understand this with regard to responsibility personal responsibility. If it's somebody else's fault, you don't need grace, you need justice. 
You need somebody to do something for you so you'll get what you have coming. You don't need grace. It's only when your sin is all your fault. You can't blame it on any circumstance. You can't blame it on God's sovereignty. You don't blame it on uh, people. You, you, your sin is all your fault. That's when your mouth is stopped and you stand guilty before God. What a blessed place that is to be. To have my mouth stopped and quit finding excuses for my sin like Saul did and stand guilty before God. But Saul didn't do that. He didn't do that. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And Samuel said, verse 22, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to hear what's being said. Then the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now, to obey is better than sacrifice. Is he saying that personal obedience is better than the sacrifice of Christ? You know he's not saying that. <clears throat> what is being said is, what's better to preserve these things for sacrifice or obey the voice of God? They were using religious reasons for their sin. These are, these are to sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. Listening to God is better. Now, in this thing of killing all the Amalekites, put to death, utterly annihilate all hopes of self-salvation. That's what the mortification of the flesh is. Annihilate all hopes of self-salvation and look to Christ alone. You know, men think these sacrifices I bring, the, the things I quit doing and I sacrifice and the things I start doing, this will earn my favor with God. No, it won't. No, it won't. To obey the gospel is better than sacrifice. Any sacrifice you could bring, it's no good. It's no good. Do you believe that? It's filthy rags. Are you going to offer to God filthy rags and think he can accept that? To obey is better than sacrifice. What must I do? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe the gospel. Anything else? No. You know, it always troubles me when I hear a preacher say, repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Now, y'all not ever sin again. I'm not, I'm not in any way it, it, uh, saying that's okay. But you know, that phrase, repent of your sins, is not even found in the Bible. It's not there once. 
What do you mean by repent of your sins? Well, I'm going to quit sinning and I'm going to start believing. It doesn't work that way. That's just not being honest. That's not being real. Repentance is toward God. Faith is toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, beg him to have mercy. No, believe on Christ. That's the command. Believe on Christ right now. This, what must we do that we might work the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Obedience to the gospel is better than any of those filthy sacrifices you think to bring, which are nothing more than acts of disobedience when it comes right down to it. Oh, we're doing this for, to sacrifice to the Lord. It's an abomination to him. To obey is better than any sacrifice you bring. Verse 24. Samuel told Saul that he's been rejected. You know, this was foretold in the 13th chapter when he when he uh, uh, usurped the priest's office and God said, I sought out uh, one after my own heart, speaking of David. This was foretold then, but now this is when it's happening. He's, he's rejected. Verse 24, and Saul said unto Samuel, I've sinned. I wish he would stop there. He didn't know. I've sinned. That's a good confession. I've sinned, but listen to what else he said. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. They were the ones that got me to do this. I feared what they said. He couldn't just say I've sinned. He's always got an alibi. He's always got an excuse. There's never any true confession of sin. He didn't know anything about what the public in the temple knew when he cried God be merciful be propitious to me the sinner it was because of the people verse 25 now therefore I pray thee pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord now what that made me think of he's he, he listen I, 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 I sin but let's just forget it and let's make things the way they always have been it's kind of like when some Hollywood star or athlete gets caught in something. They say, well, I'm sorry, but let's just forget all that. And let's keep things just as they are. That's what Saul's doing. Turn with me again so we can worship the Lord together. And all the people will see that he's trying to save face is what he's doing. And Samuel said unto Saul, I'll not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away, and he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and he hath given it to a neighbor of thine that's better than thou. Talking about David, the man after God's own heart. And also, verse 29, and also the strength of Israel. I love that name of the Lord. It's the noun of the verb to excel, to be bright, to be preeminent, to be eternal. In other translations, the, tr the strength of Israel is called the eternal one of Israel, the hope of Israel, the preeminence of Israel, the glory 
of Israel. This is speaking of the immutability of Jesus Christ. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He doesn't take away his grace from anybody he's given it to. He can't. He's immutable. He's not a man that he should lie or repent. Verse 30, then he said, I've sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee before the elders of my people, before Israel, and turn with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. He still wanted to save face. That's all he could think about. So Samuel turned again after the Lord and saw worshiped him. You, you wonder why he did, but he did. He did. Now look what Samuel does with Agag. Remember, Agag represents man's will. Man's will. Now let me, let, let me give a, you a couple of things about the importance of this issue. In the Garden of Eden, when Satan was tempting Eve. How was he tempting her? He said, if you eat this fruit, you'll know the difference between good and evil. And you will be able to make the choice of the good over the evil. And that is what will make you like God. Right now, you're nothing more than a robot. You're just acting the way you're programmed to. But if you eat this fruit, you'll... No good and evil. And you'll choose the good over the evil. And that's what will make you like God. The temptation of free will was the temptation in the garden. What was it that Satan desired? Turn over to Isaiah 14 for a moment. Verse 12, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will set upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. That's what... Eve was wanting. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Now back to 1 Samuel 15. Then said Samuel, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came unto him delicately. He, he didn't come with some cocky, arrogant attitude. He knew he was possibly in trouble. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. I mean, the, their anger's cooled. I, maybe they're going to show me mercy. And Samuel said, as thy sword hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel Yud Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. He took his sword and he chopped him up into pieces. <clears throat> like Samuel, 
may we hack you free will into pieces and look to Christ alone. To obey is better than sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you that one of these days, by your grace, the Amalekites, our sins, our evil nature, will be destroyed and will be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. And Lord, we ask that by your grace, we will always have this war continually to put to death Amalek. Bless these words. Lord, enable us to obey your gospel. Believe on your son. In his name we pray.